Welcome back to the Birth Booth Podcast with me, your host, Eni. Joining us today, we have Dr. Adana, our very own OBGYN. So in today's episode, we will be talking about perineum, how women can tear during childbirth and pregnancy, and how we can strengthen those pelvic muscles, manage trauma, and all that fun stuff. So Adana, welcome to the Birth Booth Podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> great, it's great having you on. Um, so before we get into this, here on the Birth Booth Podcast, we kind of like to kick things off with an icebreaker question, okay? Okay. Great. So, who is your favourite family member and why? <laughs> if you have a favourite family member. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's so easy, my dad. Wow. <laughs> I'm so, I, didn't even have to, I didn't even have to think about it. That's really bad. I'm so sorry to all my family who may or may not be listening. Wow, <laughs> straight up. Like that. Not even like I mean, even my or... name, Adana, means my, <laughs> my father's first daughter. So like, I was destined to be a daddy's girl. He's just the best person on the planet. <laughs> Why your dad? What is it about your dad? I don't think my dad is my favourite He's just ever. amazing. He's so kind, like... He's not particularly that strict. You can talk wow. to him about anything. He's so supportive. He's wow. just amazing. Has he always been your favourite family member or has it kind of changed? Always. <laughs> Are you the only yeah, girl? Always. Uh, no, I've got a little sister who's uh, 16. I mean, I'm the golden child. I'm the favourite. So. Wow. <laughs> I am definitely not my dad's favourite and he's definitely not my favourite. Sorry, oh, I think no. he probably would have been my brother. And, do you know what? I don't know. Let me not say anything because these children will <laughs> get into me. My siblings will get into me for that. And oh my god! Them, so yeah, they're all my favourites. <laughs> <laughs> See, that would be the best way I should have answered that question. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, so I listen thinking, I didn't know that dad was your favourite. What was that about? <laughs> Fair enough. So, um, Adana, can you tell us a little bit about yourself for those of us who don't really know you much? don't really know what you do can you just talk to us a bit about who you are and what you do so i am an obstetrics and gynecology doctor obstetrics being um looking looking after women before pregnancy during pregnancy and after pregnancy in the postnatal period yeah and then gynecology generally being women's health okay so can you give us some examples of what kind of like women's health issues that you would kind of help to facilitate so things like um women who've got incontinence of urine or stool women with sexual uh, problems yeah. um women with things like endometriosis mm. fibroids that sort of stuff wow intense okay so mm. let's get into talking about the um the perineum okay because mm. i think that's obviously the, the the main topic of our conversation today can we talk yeah. about what the perineum is that region um yeah let's mm. just start off with a definition uh well your perineum i mean people actually often get the definition wrong so they believe it's the bits of muscle and skin between the ent- opening of your vagina to the back passage but actually it also encompasses the area all the way up to your pubic bone as well so all of that together is the perineum because you can get tears that involve the top of the vulva and around Mm. the labia as well so it's important Mm. we don't discount them when we're talking about tears to the perineum oh absolutely thanks um so how can trauma be caused to um to this area what 
what are the main things that contribute to women tearing? I think so most women think that, okay, as soon as you have a baby, you're going to tear irrespective. Some are like, depend on how big the baby is. Um, but from your experiences as a doctor, what, mm. what, yeah, why do women tear? Well, I think the most important thing that women need to uh, appreciate is that actually up to 85% of women will tear after having a baby. So it's really important that you don't think you've failed because you've teared because it's actually really, really common. Yeah. And actually two thirds of those women will need to have the tear repaired by suturing. Mm. Um, so that's the first thing to really point out. It's more common if it's your first baby. Yeah. Um, if your baby is particularly big. So mm-hmm. I'll offer large babies around four kilos, which yeah. is quite a big baby. Yeah. Um, certain ethnic groups so um asian women are at a higher risk of having perineal tears yeah um also if babies are in the wrong position so usually when you deliver a baby baby should be looking down towards the floor yeah uh, sometimes babies can be in different positions um when you're delivering them not the position mm. during your pregnancy mm. so babies looking back to back some women call that stargazing or if they're looking side to side yeah if you imagine that increases the circumference of the baby's head yes in respect to the actual diameter of your vaginal canal yeah. and vaginal opening which means your risk of tearing is slightly higher for babies mm. in a different position yeah also if you've been pushing for a particularly long time the, mus- the skin and muscle of the perineum get quite swollen and engorged, which increases their risk of tearing as well. Yeah. yeah. Or if you needed help in your delivery. So say if you need okay. in what we call an instrumental delivery, that's sometimes with a forceps, which yeah. is like a, some metal spoons that used to help guide the baby out, or with a suction cup, which is also known, known as a vontus mm-hmm. or a vacuum. They also can increase your risk of having a tear. So how can women... Or what can women do or what can midwives do or OBGYNs do to mm. prevent tearing? Because I think, although it's, there's an 85% chance, I'm sure many women prefer not to and to do what mm. they can to avoid it, if anything. So mm. how can we avoid it potentially and protect against perineal trauma? Well, I think the first thing that comes is really good um, provision of information to women in the antenatal period about methods they can do to try and reduce their risk of tears or reduce the extent of a tear okay so um sometimes we um well often we should be telling women in clinic that towards the last sort of four to six weeks of your pregnancy you can do something called perineal massage so um that essentially helps stretch the tissues around the entrance of the vagina to help it be more lax during delivery so there are certain things you can use you can use any cooking oil so vegetable (laughs) oil (laughs) olive oil almond oil any sort of water-based lubricants you can use as well and you or your partner can do it so I appreciate it could be quite hard to do it when you've got a large bump. (laughs) But if you're doing it yourself, we say if you get two thumbs, make sure your nails are short. Basically put it in the entrance of the vagina Mm -hmm. and make a U shape from the Mm. bottom upwards. And you can do that once in the evening to try and stretch Stretch the the tissues. Um, If your partner does it, he should use his index fingers. Do it and make sure his... Um, nails are short as well hands have been washed cleaned yeah, yeah, yeah. also really make sure that you know your your waters haven't gone because that will increase your risk of infection if you're having lots of um contact 
contact in the vagina as well yeah um, so those are ways you can re- reduce your risk of um perineal tears um also what midwives can do during labor is during the um second stage so that's when you're 10 centimeters yeah. and you're starting to push um in between contractions they can use a warm compress to try yes. and again help the tissues stretch a really important thing to also do is during the delivery of the head and this is for both midwives and doctors is doing something called manual perineal protection Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is, I strongly think is really, really, really important during okay. that phase of labour. Yeah. Um, and that's basically um, being able to guide and guard the baby's head to allow the baby's head to deliver slowly mm-hmm. and allow the surrounding tissues to stretch very, very, very slowly okay. um, to reduce the risk of tearing as well. Okay. So obviously, you know, sometimes women need to have episiotomies, you know, mm-hmm. slight cuts in order for yeah. them to be able to deliver maybe a midwife mm. or an OBGYN it's seen that actually this head is a bit quite it's quite big um, yeah. can you talk a little bit about how episiotomies work and mm-hmm. the ideal situation for an episiotomy mm-hmm. um, well an episiotomy is essentially a small um, cut that is made the well, the specific angle it's supposed to be is at 60 degrees um, from the sort of middle of the vagina opening while the head is stretching. And the reason why they say 60 degrees is because that's a good angle to ensure there's no damage to the muscle of the back passage. Okay. And when you have damage to the muscle of the back passage, that's called a third and fourth degree tear. Mm. And that can have potential implications for future continence. And um, it's really important to try and prevent those tears. Um, ways you would given episiotomy so if the woman doesn't have any analgesia on board so any pain relief on board so for example they don't have an epidural yeah um it's really really important you always give them some local anesthetic down below to ensure the cut isn't painful um but irrespective even when you have an epidural sometimes most women know who've had babies the epidurals don't work very very well (laughs) so i always check to make sure that they can't feel that i'm touching them down below yeah and if they can feel me then I'll also give an additional bit of local anesthetic as well to make sure it's pain-free for the woman Mm -hmm. um certain indications for an episiotomy would be um if the entrance to the vagina is quite rigid and looks like it's actually going to cause a really severe tear if you don't Mm -hmm. give it a cut because the idea of a cut is that you're directing the angle of a tear towards the cut that's away from the muscles of the back yeah 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 um, other reasons you've given a episiotomy would be, for example, say that baby isn't particularly happy or is showing, showing signs that they need to be delivered quickly because they're mm-hmm. in what we call fetal distress um, to aid quicker delivery of the baby, an episiotomy can be given. Um, other reasons that an episiotomy given would be, for example, by a um, obstetrician doctor would be if we were doing a instrumental delivery, so with a forceps or a yes. suction cup. Yeah. Again, because they can increase the risk of having a third or a fourth degree tear, so a tear yeah. down to the back passage, mm-hmm. um, by about two to three, two to three times. So that's why we often give episiotomies to try and reduce that risk of tear yeah. down to the back passage. But I think it's always important to say that. Even if I'm giving an episiotomy, the risk of you tearing down to the back passage is still there nonetheless. Okay. I give you an episiotomy, but the risk is reduced. So I remember when we spoke a few days ago and um, one of the things we were talking about was like nerve damage and how, you know, 
even when it comes to things like water births, due to the fact that you can't actually guard the perineum, Mm. um, you're a bit like kind of, you'd rather stray away from water births for that reason. Mm. Um, Can you talk a little bit about nerve damage, uterine incontinence and why you think, I mean, why you kind of, why you'd prefer not to have a water birth or what, you so know, it's not, it's not preferring to not to have a water birth because I think it's really important women are comfortable and are happy yes. with their birth plan. And if a water uh-huh. birth is what you want, that I can then any doctor would really encourage that as long as it's safe. Yeah. But okay. what I do feel is that if you, as a midwife, don't feel you can adequately guard the perineum mm. while they're in the water, once they get to fully dilated or they're showing signs that the delivery is imminent I mean, yes. um, trying to best you can either get them up on all fours or, okay, or right. transfer or them out of the, the water, yeah, the water for yeah. the actual delivery of the head is better but then again there are lots of women who have water births and don't have you know yes. big tears so it's mm-hmm. not on, it's not unheard of it's not a hard and fast rule yeah um, but it's just that you can't ad- adequately or appropriately protect the perineum, the perineum if somebody is in the water uh, then in terms of um nerve damage so if you imagine as when a baby is coming through the birth canal and sort of stretching all the muscles there's yeah. also nerves that surround the muscles as well so stretching of any nerve can cause that nerve to temporarily not work for a period of time yes. no one can say how long that period of time is for mm. so if you imagine if you been pushing for a long time or been in labor for a long time the amount of time that nerve has been stretched has been longer so the risk of that nerve being damaged is a little bit higher so when women experience things like um, incontinence of urine or incontinence of stool after delivery all these things are multifactorial and may not be solely secondary to having a perineal tear yeah yeah it may also be due to an element of nerve damage but often nerves that have been stretched will recover so they can for sure say how long that will take this will take yeah um so when we're talking about healing so let's talk a little bit about healing now if a woman has had a tear how long can she expect for the tear to heal um you know how does she manage the the healing of the the perineum or that you know the episiotomy um when she's home well i think it's important to note that not all tears need suturing so sometimes a first degree tear which the tear specifically just to the skin of the perineum um they often may not need suturing if it's bleeding um a secondary tear which involves the muscles of the perineum um which is the equivalent to what an episiotomy is or a third degree tear when it extends down to the muscle of the back passage, healing time is slightly different okay. for a second degree tear and a yeah. third degree tear. Um, mainly because if you imagine the muscle of the back passage, um, because there's stool there, there's it's a big focus for bacteria and infections. The risk mm-hmm. of infection is slightly a little bit higher when you've had a yeah. third or a fourth degree tear. Yeah. Um, but generally in terms of healing, when a perineum is sutured, um, we use... Um, dissolvable sutures um so particularly in terms of aftercare to ensure that the wound heals well yeah and um, it's really important that you tell women about good perineal hygiene um so things i would say for example is um get a shower head yeah and 
put the shower Posed head on the pony right um, in that yeah in that right region. in there and then <laughs> um, pat it dry after with a towel um when you go to the bathroom um make sure you again clean the wound and pat it yeah. dry with a towel mm. and then making sure you change your pad regularly what you want okay. to do is make sure there's no focus or infection that's going to potentially, potentially trigger anything and trigger infection any there, infection yeah. or any problems with your wound but generally if you look after your stitches well because they're dissolvable within about sort of 10 to 14 days the stitches dissolve and the knots will fall out and okay your wound should be fine yeah yeah so that's usually the amount of time it takes a wound that doesn't have any problems to heal okay. but then you like you said it's kind of dependent on the kind of degree of tear that you've had isn't it exactly exactly so I think I don't think I mentioned um, I asked this earlier, but can you look, talk a little bit more about um, the categorizations again? So, um, yeah. what's for example the difference between a second degree and a third degree or fourth mm-hmm. degree tear? Yeah. Um, so if I start from the um, beginning, so a first degree tear is a tear of just the skin of the perineum, um, and then a second degree tear is a tear that also includes the muscles of the perineum so when i'm talking about the muscle of the perineum i'm talking about the area between the entrance of the vagina to the muscle of the back passage so Mm. the muscles in between there um and that really is sort of the equivalent to an episiotomy because when you make an episiotomy you cut into the muscles of the perineum Mm -hmm. um then a third degree tear and a fourth degree tear when you, you basically combine them and they're called obstetric anal sphincter injuries and they've got different grades to how severe the tear is. So when you have a third degree tear, it's either labelled A, B or C, C being the most severe. Um, and it basically tells you the extent of the tear into the muscles of the back passage. So right. C, B, C being it's involved both muscles of the back passage. So in your back passage, you've got two rings you have the internal ring, which is called the internal sphincter, yeah. and the external ring, which is outside, called the external sphincter. So any tear that involves both the external and the internal muscle is a more severe tear. So that exactly. would be a 3C tear. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the spectrum, you have a 4 3 tear, and that's when everything has been torn, oh, so no. including the, the skin that covers, or we call it the mucosa wow. that covers the rectum. How do you see fourth degree tears? Are they how common are they? Uh, how common are they? Well, actually, my <laughs> um, at the moment at this moment in time, I'm doing research in perineal trauma, yes, uh, and perineal wound infection, particularly third and fourth degree tears. Yeah, so I commonly see women who've had third and fourth degree tears quite regularly in my job. But actually, the risk of women, the overall risk of a woman having a third or fourth degree tear, is quoted to be about two. 2.9 yeah so relatively quite 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 low then but um in a first time mum that risk is 6.1 percent and then in a mum who's had babies before that risk is one and a bit percent so either way the risk is low but your risk is slightly higher in certain clinical scenarios so like i said before a bigger baby a baby that's in a different position not looking down or if um, there's a need to use um, forceps or a suction cup, they all will increase your risk if you're having a third degree tear. You know, I've spoken to a few women and who've had electives, elective cesarean sections, 
Mm-hmm. And for two of them, they were like, I'm having a elective because I don't want to ruin my vagina. Mm-hmm. I still want to be able to enjoy sex. I don't want to damage. Um, I don't want to have a risk of um, uterine incontinence or not being mm-hmm. able to kind of pass um you know have bowel normal bowel movements anymore yeah uh, what are your views on that um coming from an OBGYN perspective mm. well I mean it's hard I think my view is skewed because I because I see women so much who've had severe tears but then I think it's also really important that you know in keeping with the nice guidelines that like if a woman wants to have a cesarean section she's more you know all within yes. her right to opt for a cesarean section but I think it's extremely important that you understand the risks of a cesarean section because fundamentally a cesarean section is a big operation. I think we cast it off as something that's quite, it, although it is done regularly, um, it, there is still risks, risk to it and you need to appreciate that. Yeah. And there are still risks that say if there are complications during the cesarean section that can still implicate you in the future, yeah, just exactly. as having a third or fourth degree tear can Im- implicate you in the future as well. Mm yeah absolutely it's a hard one because i think a lot of women want to know what can i do to avoid this what can i do to avoid that they just want to avoid the trauma yeah and it's like you guide them as much as you can but we just don't know what the outcome can be so it's a Mm. bit difficult sometimes to know Mm. um how to kind of you know guide women but then i do think it's important like i've said before with you know antenatal counseling if you sort of normalize the idea that actually when you have a baby there is quite a high chance that you may need a tear um and if you normalize that discussion yes. and women have that discussion with their peers yeah the fear of tearing Reducing. and the association with yes. it would be reduced i agree yeah i think it's one of those things that maybe we can kind of do a little bit more antenatal on because when we hear the word tear we're all frightened like oh my goodness what exactly the, what's that going to mean for my vagina what's that going to mean for my sex life but i digress mm. Um, so in terms of pelvic floor exercises, how important are they? Um, how, re- um, regularly should these be done? How, what, how do mm. I prepare the pelvic floor? What does that feel like? Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about that? <laughs> I mean, the pelvic floor, I, I say this time and time again, I think again, because yeah. of my job, but mm-hmm. it's so important to maintain <laughs> good pelvic floor health, whether okay. you're pregnant or not pregnant, it's so <laughs> important because it's when you go to the you you go to the gym to keep your muscles toned and they're good you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep yourself in a good state of physical health yes your pelvic floor in itself is, is a muscle mm. so the only way a muscle will maintain itself and do the job it's supposed to do it. is if you work at it yeah and you shouldn't just work at it when you've had a baby because if you already have strong muscles prior it's true then actually your pelvic floor is going to be at a better state once you've had a baby it's true yeah so it's so important so how do i work really, it? really important how do example, i work it from now in france, they've got a, they're really hot pelvic really <laughs> there's loads of really really good resources you can use so okay. um there's something called and um, there's a website called yourpelvicfloor.org that you can use and basically okay. they've got lots of videos which essentially teach you how to do pelvic floor muscles pelvic floor muscle exercises um so the way that you're supposed to do it you can do it when you're standing up and Mm. or if you're lying flat on the bed and sometimes you can get a mirror to make sure what you're doing is correct but essentially what you want to do is imagine that you're holding 
wind inside your back passage. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you also want to work the muscles around the vagina too. So you imagine there's a zip from right. the bone all yeah. the way back and you're yeah. trying to seal the zip. So you hold so, it in. Exactly. How exactly. long are you holding it in for and how often are you like? Initially, <laughs> three you can see how long you, you can keep it on for and how many reps you can do it as such. <laughs> and then you want to do it ideally three or four times a day. So there's okay. a really good app you can get on your phone, which I actually tell all my women to download, called the Squeezy <laughs> yeah. app. And Squeezy. it gives you really squeezy. It gives okay. you really angry um, <laughs> reminders to do your pelvic floor muscle exercises during the day. <laughs> because sometimes, otherwise, you won't remember to do it. Yeah, that's true. You will just kind of forget, be like, oh. But if exactly. it reminds you, you know, okay, now we have, we've got to do the reps now. Oh, three reps. Exactly. You know, you, know, like, you know, like an, a really annoying alarm in the morning that wakes you up. It's the same <laughs> thing. It's really. Have you nailed it then? Have you, uh, you need to uh, do exercises. Have you nailed it then with the pelvic floor? Like, are you constantly there? Just yes, all the time, all the time. When I'm on the sofa, when I'm in the car. <laughs> I love that. So, um, another important question: um, How soon can a woman resume sexual activity after having suturing, even after having a baby? Like, what's your recommendation? Because I'm sure mm. there are men who are like, I mean, or women who are still quite freaky and would love to kind of just have a little mm. bit of intimacy with their partners, which is fair mm. enough. But what's your recommendation? Um, well, in terms, in terms of-, of recommendations, I would say if you'd had suturing, uh, so you've had a tear that's required suturing, yes. you want the wound to have healed before you start resuming sexual intercourse. Okay. And we sort of say, although I've said, you know, two weeks of the sutures to fall out, um, in terms of general tissue healing for any cut, generally it's about, you know, four to six weeks. But um, there's been lots of studies which, which have looked at when women resume sexual intercourse. And actually, most women don't really tend to resume sexual intercourse till about six weeks. So okay. I always say to women, you know, it's whenever you and you and your partner feel comfortable to resume sexual intercourse. But I always say some things are going to feel different Mm. and things might be a little bit more uncomfortable, particularly if you're breastfeeding because breastfeeding reduces your estrogen levels. So it makes everything down below quite dehydrated and dry. So I always say that try and make sure you lose lots and lots of lubricant, Mm. especially when you're first starting to have sexual intercourse just to make it a little bit more comfortable for you okay and for you to not to have not to have you know a negative idea about ha- having sex after having a baby yeah 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 definitely um and um i remember once i'm not going to get to in this but i remember once i went to um i was um working with my mentor on a postnatal booking and there was a lady and she had a really really bad uh, vaginal um infection or perineal infection post delivery I think she had a suture and I don't think she was able to look after it well mm-hmm. she told me that well she told us she used salt to kind of manage the wound yeah. how how can a woman manage infection what are the signs the first signs of brewing um, mm-hmm. and I know you mentioned before that it's mainly water we used to kind of yeah. manage that area but mm-hmm. you know where people have their kind of traditions in terms of what they use what's your yeah, lots on of that old anyway? wives tales <laughs> like I've heard a lot of people in my experience, who've used salt water tends to be the most common one. Baking soda, oh. tea tree oil, 
Instagram. I think I've heard several <laughs> ones. But I just, like, is it not a burning you, sis? Uh, if you cut your arm, <laughs> would you then put Dettol on it? No. As- <laughs> so it's just really important to only use, even steaming. Steaming is another one that. Like Yoni steaming. Not, I mean, some, not, sometimes women will do Yoni steaming, but often it might just, just be a bucket of hot water. Right. But the issue with that is that because the stitches are dissolvable, if you're putting too much water on the stitches, they will dissolve too quickly. Yeah. And the wound will open up. Yeah, yeah. So that's, again, why I say, particularly like, you know, having long baths to try and ease the perineum, uh, perineal pain is that if you're sitting in water for too long, yes. the stitches are going to dissolve too quickly. So okay. avoid soaking in a bath. Um, but in terms of um, wound infections, um, making sure you've got good perine- perineal hygiene will reduce your risk of wound infection. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, if you have a cut down below, so an episiotomy, the risk of wound infection be that um so signs of wound infection would include swelling and pain around the perineum redness um any yellow or yellow discharge or lots of fluid coming from the perineum if you're offensive smell if you're feeling you know physically unwell if you've got fever these are all signs that you should be attending your maternity triage mm. to have to be looked at. But ideally, throughout your postnatal checks, the midwife should look at your perineum. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's very difficult now with COVID because a lot COVID, of things are done yeah. over the phone. But if yeah. you've got any concerns, you just make sure you let them know and you attend triage because we're always happy and welcome to see you if you need to be seen. Absolutely. Exactly. And then other signs that might show you have an infection if, is if the wound opens up. But then it's also important to note that sometimes a wound can open up in the absence of infection. Wow. So that also is a possibility that can happen. And again, okay. it's slightly increased if you have an episiotomy as well. Right, right. But I always say to women, it's, often, it's nothing that you've done wrong. Unfortunately, the numbers vary amongst studies, but up to 25% of women will either have a perineal wound infection or have a wound breakdown, so wound dehiscence or the wound opening following having a baby. Yeah. So it's nothing you've done wrong. It's yeah. just one of these things can happen because where the vagina and the perineum sits, um, it's an area that's sort of rich in bacteria. So exactly. the risk of infection is it's a there. bit high. Exactly. Yeah. So um, would, um, would you advise maybe a woman take antibiotics prior, um, as in beforehand, just mm-hmm. to prevent against an infection if there was to have one? Or would you just say go to the GP if you, um, if you um, have this, the signs and symptoms that you Yeah, mentioned? so if you have signs or symptoms, um, I, wouldn't, I mean, if your GP is the easiest thing to get to, but actually your maternity, maternity triage is probably a fast, faster way to access care and get antibiotics if okay. you need them yeah um, but i wouldn't say you need to have antibiotics before you deliver to reduce your risk there are only certain situations where now we give antibiotics to women um based on a large study that was done about a year ago that anybody who has a instrumental de- delivery so with a force or a suction cup we routinely give them antibiotics through their drip yes um in their arm to prevent 
the risk of infection but i'm not sure it's been rolled out in lots of hospitals yet yeah yeah but it definitely is happening in all the trusts that i've worked at okay per- perfect and um in relation to the pain is that something that can be managed with like normal um paracetamol standard paracetamol ibuprofen mm. kind of no definitely yeah it can be and i'd always say to women that often a degree of pain is normal and actually in up to you know sort of about 20 percent of women they will have pain for about two weeks um but concerning features of the pain is in the co- in combination with the other signs of infection that we've discussed right before. yeah 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 painkillers that you can take are paracetamol ibuprofen and also to make sure you take them regularly right because stay on top a, of the pain exactly because well. the issue is if you then have a break in your painkillers um the risk is you'll then get a spike of Pain. pain coming back which yeah, will be yeah. more difficult to manage and paracetamol and ibuprofen and things like codeine as well um okay. like codizumol or cocodamol yeah, um, yeah they are fine with breastfeeding so you okay. don't need to worry yeah, about, about taking that medications exactly. okay about <laughs> perfect so um this is our last question unfortunately we're coming to a little bit of an end now um but can you talk to us a little bit about your research why did you start um, your research what kind of things had you been exploring prior that made you mm. want to kind of do a bit of work on perineal trauma mm. well I think as an um, obsession gynecology doctor I've always been really interested in the pelvic floor because I think it's one of these things that the potential symptoms you can have if you have damage to your pelvic floor or your perineum can really affect women and women are often silent about it and just suffer at home and think like things like urinary incontinence or fecal incontinence. So, you know, one of these normal things that can happen after a baby and it'll get better or having problems with their sex life after having a baby and is normal and it, and it will get better. But actually I think these women often aren't managed that well and are left to suffer at home, you know, in silence. Mm. So actually I thought being able to do more research in the topic, particularly in perineal trauma, perineal wound infection and third yeah. and tears, and being able to review the current evidence that's out there yes and make my own evidence mm-hmm. um sort of aid in the management will really help women in the future so I feel one of these things i feel really 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 strongly about i mean i don't have children but i know that when i when and if i do i want to you know make sure there's certain things in place that will help me feel more comfortable absolutely and how's it going at the moment it's how's going it- really, really i mean apart from covid sort of causing <laughs> a lot of things <laughs> as it is for everything yeah. um, i'm now a year in and i've got another two years and hopefully i will have finished my thesis for submission oh, and i'll yeah. get my degree Fingers definitely crossed. definitely well abs- well done absolutely well done we're all here Thank you for so you much. can't wait to see what the um the research and the findings will be you know your key findings so you know hopefully we'll have you on again to kind of discuss that and talk about that in a bit more depth you know no definitely i'd be very interested to do that i'd be happy to do that yeah absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well thank you adana so much for um joining us today um if our listeners would like to potentially connect with you how could they how can they do that if they have questions they kind of want to connect mm. what, what kind of um avenues can they do that so i've right. got my instagram which is adana um 92 or my twitter is adana underscore o so adana a d a double n a 
perfect happy so to answer any questions but in terms of you know looking after you over social media i will just point you in the right direction i <laughs> <laughs> suppose to give you your advice <laughs> exactly <laughs> your exactly <laughs> well madonna thank you so much for joining us again it was a pleasure and we definitely look forward to having you back welcoming you back real soon okay so good thank luck with you. everything with the research we'll definitely be kind of watching from a distance and asking thank you so much and, uh, again you are welcome mm-hmm.